Hi, you're listening to Calm Conversations, a mental health podcast by Calm Collective Asia. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Sabrina. And coming up in today's show. In our culture, what's missing is language. We don't actively speak about feelings. In fact, even mental health. I know I say this and you laughed at me earlier, like, we're not that old. But come on, do you remember a time when you were growing up when you could talk about disorders? Hey, Sabrina. Hi, Alyssa. So for today's episode, we're talking about anxiety. I interviewed a friend of mine, Nisha, Nisha Junkiani, who is a trained psychotherapist and a hypnotherapist. And we talked about what anxiety is, where does it come from, how to deal with it, and especially at what point do people need to seek help from a professional. So, Sab, mm-hmm. anxiety is something like I feel everyone has experienced at some time in their life. I know it's ultimately it's an emotion, right? Is there anything in particular that makes you feel anxious? Oh, a lot of things make me feel anxious. But if I had to name one thing, I would probably say it's public speaking. Yeah. Why is that? It's, uh, you know, I think public speaking makes me feel super exposed and very self-conscious. And um, I guess the other part of it is, yeah, I, I, I really... I. In the past, I felt very overwhelmed whenever I had to give a presentation or even when I had to speak to someone new, you know, or someone unfamiliar. I would feel very, very self-conscious. I would ask myself, okay, okay, you know, what does, what does a person think of me? What if I screw up? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I look stupid? All of these things, right? And it just comes up in so many different ways. How do you feel about recording today's podcast? <laughs> oh, you know, as you know, you and you saw me earlier, I was quite nervous. Um, but I guess I the way that I've I've kind of dealt with it is just by trying it and putting myself out there and uh, especially when it especially when I'm I'm in a space where I'm still able to move and to act and not in a space where I'm just frozen, right? Well, I have to say, like, kudos to you. You're doing something that would normally cause you anxiety, um, and you're getting through it just fine. So <laughs> good job. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, the way that I deal with it is, um, I guess, multifold, right? So um, first of all, I, I try to be forgiving with myself. I tell myself that, okay, you know, Let's just give it a shot. If it doesn't go well, that's okay. At least you try it. So I let go of the outcome and I let go of what other people think of me, you know? Whatever they're going to think, I can't control. And the only thing I can do is do my best, even though that may not look the best at sometimes, right? Yeah, you told me before, it's something about your voice. And in particular, when you were younger, you, you didn't talk much. I've I've had a very strange relationship with my voice growing up and even now I find it a bit difficult to be fully comfortable or at ease with uh, listening to myself or even to accept that I have a voice you know it's it's strange so when I was a kid I I would say that I I have social anxiety and this is only something I realized um, just a few months ago right when the team of students that worked with us was working on a project on social anxiety I did not have the language to to name it when I was a kid. And this is something that Nisha brings up in, in the podcast. Um, 
And when I had social anxiety, I would be selectively mute um, in front of the different people that I was just uncomfortable with, right? So there were some classes where I did not like my teacher or I did not like my friends. I mean, not my friends, but the people who were in the class. Um, and I would just be quiet completely. Even though they had asked me 10, 20 questions, I would just be completely silent, right? And then even when I was giving presentations, I would feel my hands clam up and my heart just racing. I would find it so difficult, super difficult to get through these presentations because all these voices just come flooding in and telling me that, you know, just to be on high alert. What if people are judging me? What if I screw up? So yeah, this whole relationship with anxiety and my voice, it's something that is something I'm still working through. And, you know, by putting myself out there, I I believe that it helps me um, feel more comfortable and at ease. And also the other thing is to be able to put myself out there in, in control, in a controlled manner, right? Not fully exposing myself and getting shocked and running away from it, but um, choosing what I'm comfortable with and drawing my boundaries if I feel that it's too much. Thanks for sharing that. And I hope that this podcast will help you and will help others kind of feeling the same way. How about you, Alyssa? Is there anything that makes you particularly anxious and how do you deal with it? Well, you know what makes me particularly anxious? It's when I have a to-do list, like a really long to-do list, and I don't know if I can get through it all. And if I'm really busy at work and I know like, oh my gosh, I have so many things to do today. I wake up feeling anxious immediately. And one thing that's helped me get through that is guided meditations. And it's, I don't meditate very often, but I, during a period where I was particularly feeling anxious um, before work, I picked up a guided meditations app called Insight Timer. I started to listen to that during my commutes and I realized it made me feel so much better. So that's my tip. Oh, that's great. One of the takeaways that I have from this podcast and talking to Nisha is there is no one silver bullet to treat anxiety. So the causes for anxiety are different for everybody and therefore the solutions are naturally going to be different for everybody too. So it's about exploration, about trying out new things and seeing what works for you. All right, so here's the podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Today, I'm here with Nisha Jangiani. She is a trained psychotherapist and hypnotherapist. And coincidentally, she used to be my co-worker uh, back in my first job. And we were both in the corporate world. Well, I'm still in the corporate world moonlighting in the mental health space. But now we both find ourselves in the mental health space. And I'm really excited to have her join us today to speak about anxiety. Anxiety is an issue that's really prevalent nowadays, uh, I think especially with the advent of COVID. So I really want to get into this conversation to learn a little bit more with Nisha. What is anxiety? How do we deal with it? And you know, at what point should we be getting mental health professionals in the picture? So um, Nisha, hi, welcome. Hello, Alyssa. So lovely to be here. And would you like to tell us about yourself and also how did you leave the corporate world and end up in the mental health space? Yeah, that's perfect because we met very recently and connected around 
you know, mental health. And it's so interesting. We were once colleagues in the events industry. So I think after I left the space in events, I was there for about two years. At the time I left, I I realized very quickly that the corporate space wasn't for me. It didn't fulfill me the way I had hoped it would. And so what I ended up doing was I was just exploring other avenues, other areas. You know, people how when they're considering a career switch, I considered mine very earlier in life. So I stumbled upon, um, you know, sort of mental health related topics. And I was anyways very interested and fascinated by the human mind. It was a topic I would read extensively about and just very curious about. So what I ended up doing was I trained. I decided, okay, I have some space. I'm going to go train in some of these modalities. So I picked up hypnotherapy and NLP and I realized, oh, wow, you know what? I can actually do this. And I had mentors who were supporting me and said, you should consider this actually as, you know, doing this full time. So I thought like you, I'd moonlight in this space and continue on to the next venture. But no, it turned out differently. I had some very supportive people in my life. And then I realized, you know what? It's something I see myself doing long term. So I got trained. I got my master's in professional counseling. And I haven't looked back since. <laughs> Lovely. So just for the benefit of the listeners, I think this is a question that comes up a lot. What is the difference between a psychotherapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and what you are as well, a hypnotherapist. I think people would be quite curious about that. Yes, absolutely. And Alyssa, in fact, I'm very, very happy you asked that question. Because what ends up happening, and it's very common in the mental health space, is people are already so hesitant about seeking out help. The next hurdle they face is, okay, I know I have a problem now, who do I call? Or who do I go to? So brilliant that you asked this question. And I want to share this with the viewers. So maybe a thing to consider. There are three broad categories of mental health professionals. First one being psychiatrists. Then you have your psychologists. And then you have counselors, psychotherapists, people who journey with you on your mental health issues. So we'll go through it one by one. Psychiatrists, and this is the most important distinction and thing to always note. Only and only a psychiatrist should be prescribing you any format of medication for mental health. So the difference between psychiatrists and everybody else is that only psychiatrists are able to provide medical-based interventions for mental health. Now, uh, psychologists, on the other hand, so if you are uncertain, you know, you're facing some types of symptoms, you don't know what's going on with you, and you feel like you need an opinion then yes, please go to a psychologist because if you would like to, uh, get a better understanding of what is happening with you because they will help you to diagnose and understand a bit more about what's going on with you. Now, the difference between these two, and it's important, is that if you do find yourself in a dire situation, emergency, or if you feel like you know your functioning has been very severely impaired, then that's a situation where you feel it's urgent and it needs attention. Please go to a psychiatrist first because in the event you need some sort of either medication or some intervention to help things settle, then they would be your first call. But if you feel that, okay, something's happening, I'm not feeling too good right now, I need some support and I'm curious about what's happening with me, you'd go to a psychologist. Now, the beauty of our system is it's actually well integrated because 
today, even if you go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, whatever concern or diagnoses you have, that's the first step. You know, a psychiatrist might even give you medication to help you settle. That's the first step. But after that, the work still continues. I'm very glad that the mental health profession sees it this way. That great, you understood your problem. Now we have to work on it. So that's where we come in. Your psychotherapists, your mental health counselors, even some psychologists will be there to journey with you so that whatever issue it is you're facing, you're able to manage it, address it and overcome it. So this classification, I'm really hoping to anyone listening out there, helps them choose who to seek. Right. So actually the ones who can give a diagnosis are the psychologist or the psychiatrist. psychiatrist. And where would seeking a hypnotherapist be ah, useful? Okay. So I'm also very glad you asked that question because yes, people often call me as their last call sometimes when it comes to hypnotherapy. It's quite unfortunate because they go through other processes and they don't realize that, oh, hypnotherapy is actually viable. So I tell you, commonly people come to me for habits, addictions, phobias, and body processes, so body patterns. So some things like sleep, weight management, things like that. Because what ends up happening is when you're working with more intrinsic emotions and patterns, hypnotherapy is actually very effective. Done right, it can help you resolve some of these pattern-based issues rather quickly versus maybe conventional talk therapy. There's room for that, but I think I work using both hand-in-hand and that can be very effective. So yeah, please seek out a hypnotherapist if you're struggling with especially addictions and habits. Mm, Thank you. That's really interesting. Um, so I guess we'll get right into the topic yes. of today. So anxiety. Let's. What is anxiety? And how is it different between the day-to-day anxiety that one might feel, say you have a job interview coming up, uh, mm-hmm. versus a clinical diagnosis of clinical anxiety? Oh, I love the way you asked that question, Alyssa, because that's exactly it. If you want to understand anxiety... In your normal day-to-day life, it is that. It's, you know, that feeling you get, you know, when you're nervous before a job interview or nervous before a review in front of your boss or, you know, nervous when you have to take a test in school, something like that. So anxiety and uncertainty sort of go hand in hand. So when you're uncertain about what's going to happen or there's some change around you that, uh, you know, brings up uncertainty, then anxiety is a feeling that naturally happens. Why I said I was happy you brought that up? Because that is the level of anxiety that is actually normal. So if you're a human being, you will go through this at some point in your life. But when anxiety starts to become very pervasive in your life, so it's a low-grade feeling that's constantly there, and when it's persistent and intrusive. So what I mean by these two things is you might be going through your day-to-day life and all of a sudden you find yourself having thoughts about the things that would make you very anxious. And key thing to note over here is it doesn't go away. So in a normal realm of experience, when you have any feeling, you experience the feeling. Once you experience the feeling, at some point the feeling will settle. But when it comes to it becoming an issue, then what happens is the feeling sometimes can come in at random. And a lot of times the feeling doesn't settle 
as much. So you will notice it becoming intrusive in your day-to-day -day life. It can be excessive as well. Like so with anxiety, one thing is excessive worrying. It may be a very simple situation for most people observantly, but for someone going through anxiety, it can be very excessive and overwhelming. And also when most importantly, it becomes a problem is when it starts to affect your day-to-day -day life. Now, this is very important because when you feel it is affecting your work, your ability to show up to work, or people find themselves like withdrawing because they are they need to deal with that anxiety, or when they find it affecting them physically, maybe you can't sleep or eat as much. So in fact, I'm actually running through you with some of the features in which it would show up in your life, then that would be a, definitely a space where don't go through that alone. It's actually my go-to message to people. Please, please don't go through it alone. Seek the help of someone who can journey through with you and you don't have to stay like that. You can find the help that you need. So I hope that helped you and maybe the listeners get a bit of an understanding of that spectrum of anxiety. Right, right. Okay. So you've, you've run through some of the, I guess, mental symptoms as well, the physical symptoms. And yeah, what I find odd is how anxiety can really present physically like digestive mm. issues yeah. sleep problems weight mm -hmm. weight loss or appetite issues right yeah um which shows like it is much of a physical experience as it is a mental experience a lot mm -hmm. of people think oh it's it's all in your head but actually yeah it, it is an entire illness it can be um so you know you, you mentioned go seek help if it's hindering your day-to-day -day life um mm -hmm. does that do i need is there a specific threshold like do i need to wait for a panic attack before i you know go and realize oh, okay this is the level at which um i need to seek a professional so basically to answer that point Alyssa, i do want to revisit some of the descriptions i was giving earlier and it's very important i want to do that for a reason is this is why we don't talk very excessively about these signs and symptoms is one thing I want to caution listeners against doing is, oh no, I have a stomach issue. Do I have anxiety? Mm. Or I have, um, you know, I have this intrusive thoughts that are popping up all of a sudden. So I have to make a big disclaimer here, especially because what we've collectively gone through in the world in the last year has been not a normal circumstance some of these things are going to be normal. It can happen. Again, my threshold will be if definitely, definitely, if it has interrupted your life and you are not able to show up the way you once would physically in your day-to-day -day world, or if it has affected you emotionally to the point where you're not able to feel the ways you once were able to. So I'm making this as a very broad brush stroke, not just anxiety. If you're being affected in these two areas with any other kind of emotion as well, that would definitely be a good time to talk to a professional and to seek help. And I want to add to that point. When I say talk to a professional, why? Now, people say that, oh, talk to a professional means something is, this is the threshold where something is wrong with me. No, no, no. Why I say talk to someone is because talk to a professional, they have a very unique advantage. You know, most people are like, why can't I talk to my friend or someone who knows me? It's a big problem because they're invested in your story and they will have opinions and they will have emotional opinions. The advantage of speaking to someone who is a professional, who knows what they're doing, who's objective, is that number one, they'll be able to listen to you without any judgment. 
please, everyone, good marker for a therapist and you're welcome to explore them. Find someone who can hold that space without judgment for you and they can journey with you objectively. So if you're facing a certain facet of anxiety, they can explore that with you very objectively, not having had biases other people in your life would. So these two points were important that, um, you know, when you speak to a professional, this is why we say speak to a professional. And also don't stress too much about some of the things that you just heard. Um, use that marker of when it's really affected you, that would be a good time to right so if i actually see someone in my life experiencing what seems like really heightened emotions inability to regulate them Mm. how should i get them to you know persuade them to go see a professional i love that you asked that question Alyssa, because actually funny and i think we will get to this is it can be the reverse sometimes because there are people who may be wanting to talk about this and wanting to seek the help and that conversation also happens where people say that around them might say oh really you need help it's very common in mm-hmm. our cultures and our environment but okay uh that does happen too is if you notice people in your life as well it might be common right now so let's address that the first thing I would say is, obviously, you don't want to go up to them and say, hey, I see you can't regulate yourself. <laughs> so maybe it's a good time to go speak to someone. Uh, no, please don't do that. What I would say is two tips. Number one, just listen. And number two, that goes hand in hand with just listen. Please make sure you take a deep breath before you do this is don't give the advice, or at least not initially. Don't try to solve their problem. Please don't. Because when you come in with that approach, yeah, nobody who's in that state or any kind of disturbed state wants someone to actually solve their problem. They just want someone to hear them out and let them know, it's okay, I'm here. What do you need is the most powerful question. So if you can actually spend some time, listen to them, ask them what they need, and then pace them. Maybe they need something smaller right now. Maybe they just need to talk to you, spend some time with you, and then gradually go with their openness and then move them in the direction of seeking some help if that's something you Mm, can do. That's really good advice. And I think we all do have that tendency, especially not being a mental health professional, to be like, I have this advice for you. Why don't you try sleeping more? Or why don't you try meditation, right? But uh, ultimately what they need is that safe space Mm. where they're not getting that judgment and they just actually we all maybe can work through things as as speaking to a therapist Mm. and in my own experience speaking with a counselor I realized as I'm speaking through my problems oh actually I realize oh I could have solved that if I had thought about that this way Mm. as I'm just talking to the the therapist so sometimes it it works that way um just going back a little bit Mm. on anxiety I want to find out a little bit more why does it happen what's the cause and i'm sure it's it's different for everybody in a way but what's what's the general reason for why it happens yeah actually good you asked this question i have an interesting lens to this because when we do hypnotherapy based work we actually do ask that question where is it coming from and we spend quite a bit of time with it so with anxiety right Actually, as with other emotions that sometimes disrupt your life, it comes from somewhere. And with anxiety, a common feature is this, that it can usually happen when earlier in life, 
you've had instances of anxiety which may, you know, to people around you may seem very normal. And we'll come to this conversation in our culture that happens a lot. Oh, this situation happens. Oh, it's normal. Don't worry about it. And you're asked to brush it aside. If you've had multiple situations like this happen to you very often, and this can happen to most people when it's happened early in life, and it's gone unaddressed, then what can happen is, sure, we put it aside, we put it aside, we forget, hey, it's one container, it's not going anywhere. At a later stage in life, sometimes it can be brought on by a trigger. So that means you have another major life event and boom, then not just the anxiety of that event, but anxiety of all past events come flooding backward. The other um, way of looking at it is also the same idea. It doesn't have to be early in life, is if you have had major instances of anxiety um, or major instances that induce anxiety, but you've not dealt with it properly, then it can also persist. Or people like, you know, you, you hear people of very high-powered job, high-stress job, where anxiety is actually a con or anxiety-inducing situations are a constant and you're not dealing with or processing it enough then yes, it can go on to become a problem. So that's my take, at least from the experience that I've had with people working with anxiety. Mm. This is one interesting way to look at it. Okay. And, and with the advent of COVID especially, yeah. are you seeing an increase in cases like this? Yes. So it's, it's interesting, right? People, I, I told you, people come to me for habits and addictions, all sorts of things, even emotional issues. And they'll come in with one problem, but because COVID has happened, guess what? The anxiety feature is showing up more. That means it's usually they're coming with a habit or a pattern. I can't sleep enough. And then, oh, boom, there we go. It's coming out the rabbit hole of anxiety. So on the point of COVID, I will say this. For anybody listening, all of us, you, me, we're all human. Yeah. So when I say all of these things, we're all human and we're going through this experience together. I would say that Go proactively seek out someone to talk to professionally, especially if this time has been hard on you. And um, even as therapists, we have our own version of, you know, talking to people and processing our feelings. It's a human thing to do and it's a good thing to do because if you address this massive change that we've gone through now, you will come out of it once things start to find a new normal or new equilibrium, whatever you call it. You will be more resilient for what comes next. If you ignore all these major shifts and changes and feelings that you're having right now and don't address it, then, you know, just as I've said, it's a cycle. If you don't address it, it can pop up later. So, in fact, now is the time. And I'm going to take a moment to say this to you and to your listeners. You don't only need to seek help when it's problematic. If you seek it out proactively, you lend yourself to a better chance of not finding yourself in a situation where you are struggling and you definitely need the help. So this is the big myth I want to break that please speak to a professional proactively. You're just going to set yourself up for success. It's not, oh no, I have an illness and I now need to go see a doctor. You see dietitians, you see nutritionists. We're so focused on our physical health. Let's invite that for mental health too. Sorry, it took a moment there, but I wanted to say something. No, that's things. really <laughs> important to, to put out there. Um, you said earlier that actually some clients that you deal with have a roadblock in terms of they don't get the support of their loved ones in terms of, I think, acknowledging that they have a problem, mm. that 
you know, they might want to seek treatment for anxiety or whatever it is, but maybe their family is a bit reluctant for them to go seek mm. it out. I just want to ask you, what, what do you see are the common challenges around anxiety and its acceptance here, especially in our culture or I would say Asian cultures? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that you kind of brought that up as well in a broader brush stroke because this is a bigger issue and a wider conversation. Now, I'm going to make a disclaimer again on what I say because this is just based on what I've observed and conversations I've had, even with colleagues, with people around me, that in our culture, in general, what's missing is language, okay? So we don't actively speak about feelings. In fact, even mental health, I know I say this and you laughed at me earlier, like, we're not that old. But come on, do you remember a time when you were growing up where you could talk about disorders or you could talk about, hey, you know, I think depression's an issue and I need to address it. I mean, I know people in my age group and who've gone through things. I think we went through things through along the way. We didn't even realize what they were until much later in life. So what's happening is it's just an unfortunate situation. There's no blame here. In our families and units, we've never had a normal conversation with our emotions and struggling with emotions. So what ends up happening is, especially the generation or two that comes above us, because we've still heard it. I mean, we've heard it with the advent of the internet and everything else. We've still learned about it. We now know that, oh, disorders exist. Mental health is a conversation, et cetera, et cetera. We're learning that now. So we are integrating that as a part of our language. Our poor parents and even grandparents, for example, it was not part of their conversation. So to them, this is a very alien concept, if you will. So, yeah, and that's why what you see is when they're faced with this, Chances are they may not handle it well. Um, there is this thing where when they are faced with something like, oh, you know, someone telling them they're struggling with anxiety, etc., their knee-jerk response to not understanding it would be, one, they could brush it aside. Two, it could trigger them. Oh, no, someone I know is going through this. Or my family member is going through this. Oh, no, such a shameful thing to talk about or admit because don't blame them when they heard the advent of disorders it was very extreme things like it was you go to a psychiatrist if you're you know really struggling you've had a mental breakdown or you're I mean, in psychosis schi schizophrenia or schizophrenia that's unfortunate that's the sequence in which we talked about mental health but so you see in their mind frame and awareness that is what mental health issues are so when you tell them this they're like what do you mean? We grew up with it. We lived through it. We survived it. You chin up and you do it too. So you, do, do you see how that's a problem? That's why um, in a broader sense, that gap in awareness in itself becomes a problem. And we can get into it if you want to. Creates a lot of other problems as well because then it's this unmet uh, or is this feeling of unheard and being unmet, especially people who are now more self-aware people in our generation mm. so I, I i hope that you know we'd spoken about this i hope this is going in the direction that yeah. you were talking about i mean i guess that's why it's so important for our generation to really understand and learn about mental health because it our understanding isn't passed on to the next generation yes. um it should be 
hopefully much easier for the next generation to, if they're struggling with something, seek the exact help that they need without the resistance from stigma, right? Yes, absolutely. I love that you said that. And you know what? Learn. So for that generation, very quick to say, oh no, they're not sensitive and everything. Listen, that the generation above us and maybe the one just slightly above. So you think parents, grandparents. Our grandparents saw world wars, man. It's not easy. What they went through, their priority, and because they were parenting our parents, that those two generations' priority was survival. And then maybe in our parents' generation it was to thrive. But it's still about the physical world. We were born into a world that was physically safe. So our priorities were more of getting our emotional needs met. You know, we talk about our dear friend Maslow. I'm not sure if you've heard of uh, this gentleman, but you can look him up because he talks about this hierarchy of needs. So we're evolving. And I think if we want to bridge that divide, if you're brave, sit down and listen to the older generation. Understand what their understanding is of this topic. And gently, don't kind of throw it on them, but gently try to share with them what you know about it. And having these conversations, maybe, just maybe, might bridge the divide. Right. Because it's also, empathy goes both ways. Yes. If we understand what our parents, our grandparents had gone through, that can also explain, oh, that's why my parents are like so, you know, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know what's a good word for this. That's why my parents are really uptight about this or really want my grades to be that way and are so demanding in other ways rather than blaming them for just like being uh, parents, you know. Um, Actually, I'm going to pause you there. You know, a lot of like, if you really go to in-depth therapy work, that's actually what it's about is, um, and you can start to actually just reflect on this for yourself. It might be very healing for you because we don't take that we don't take that few minutes objective stance to understand where some of our issues come from. If your listeners are curious, they can go look up this thing called epigenetics, where now I think science is starting to tell us that those generations' experiences, whether we're conscious of it or not, or not, actually, we carry some of that with us. We might be curious to explore, oh, maybe I learned being a certain way from my parents and start that journey, explore. And I'm going to circle back to your point of empathy. Yeah, maybe being able to be empathizing a little bit, understanding them more, helps you to begin to heal that within yourself and forgive it. Mm. And un- perhaps unlearn some of those patterns for unlearn. yourself, right? Yes, yes, absolutely, Alyssa. I think this is a good segue into the next topic that I want to talk about, which is managing anxiety and maybe you know healing from it. And before we get into kind of the long-term management of it, I, I wanted to ask you specifically, what is something someone can do in the here and now if they are dealing with something like an anxiety attack? Mm. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up. I know you mentioned it earlier, so let's address it very quickly. So panic attacks uh, or anxiety attacks in that sense, where it is a physical manifestation that's very strong, uh, that basically a person isn't able to immediately snap out of. Now, that's a very physiological response, number one. Number two, I need to actually bring this up here. It doesn't necessarily mean it is coexisting with anxiety. Right. So you can have an anxiety attack, but not have a clinical diagnosis of anxiety. Yes, correct. So because when we actually look at the 
diagnosis aspect. Now, I'm going to please make a very strong disclaimer here. I'm not a psychologist, but I'm aware of the framework for diagnosis. So I'm just going to say this much that in general, it's around the low grade persisting feature of anxiety being in a person's life. It can or cannot have features of the anxiety attack. But what I will say is this. I have worked with clients where there is no presenting anxiety, but because of other issues, panic attacks actually do happen. So it is possible for listeners out there that you may be having a panic attack, but it may not be accompanied with the general sense of anxiety. So that distinction is important. Mm. And uh, like I said, please speak to your professionals because this is just mm. opinions and conversations on air. Please do clarify things if you are going through something specific with them. But this is the general understanding. So how to deal with that type of situation, if you're saying if you're getting that, uh, getting panic attacks. No, that's definitely your system in some ways telling you that something needs to be addressed. So again, if you're experiencing something like this, if you're loved one, if you're a loved one and your loved one is experiencing something like this, at least in the moment, the immediate thing you do is please be very aware of your own state. If you feel you're not going to be able to stay regulated around someone having a panic attack, then I would advise you to actually not directly engage with them. If you feel you're a bit centered and you can hold space for them, then please be there with them. Encourage them to breathe as deeply as they can. Just hold there if you can, if it's safe, safe enough to hold them physically. Or just hold a hand or just pat their shoulder and ask them to breathe through it. Then maybe it's worth opening up the conversation of, exploring how you can get support for it because panic attacks can be quite debilitating if they happen continuously over mm. time. So I hope I answered that yeah, question. So I guess if you're by yourself and you're dealing with breath, it comes back to just focusing on something. Yes. Right? So what you can do is a few things is if you're in the middle of it, maybe you may be in this because this happens in a variety of ways for mm. people. So a few things you can try is if you can Force yourself to breathe. Just if it means just holding on to a table and just go back to your breath, like try and breathe. If you can't, then at least focus your attention to a spot. And definitely if you feel like it has overwhelmed you too much, then please, if you're alone, call, make a phone call if you can, or just find the nearest person to you and let or them know that you Find the calmest to. person. Right? Calmest. <laughs> nearest calmest person. Yes, you don't want someone who's going to be panicking, panicking right? along with you. Right. So, but just let them know that you need some help. And uh, yeah, and so if you're the person helping someone out, it's so important to mirror the behavior that you want, as you said. Yes. You want to show a demeanor of calm so that that person can absorb that energy for yes. you. Kind of. And also learn because it's very visual. So if someone shows up being calm, the brain understands that, oh, okay, I need to maybe do this. It helps It helps a lot as well. But this circles back to the question of then seeking the help. If you are noticing things like this right now, hmm. then yes, do that. Because what you can do is you can get support to manage that better so that it doesn't reach a place where it's, again, going back to yeah. intruding in your day-to-day -day well, life. My next question is then, is anxiety treatable or is it a lifelong condition? Of course it is. Of course it is workable and treatable. Having said that, so this is where seeking the help factor really comes in. If you want to make it a lifelong condition, then... Don't seek help. <laughs> go at it alone. I mean, no, it's... The point is... So we, we, we're obviously having the conversation about anxiety, but this applies to any other emotion, right? Um... 
if you're going to go through it alone, then yes, this can persist for a while. Your body might eventually figure a way out of it, but what you're losing in the middle is precious time, could even be precious years with people, months, years with people around you who you may lose connections with, you may lose, you know, that's why I said the focal point, um, not being able to show up to work, not being able to show up socially, you may lose that space and uh, connection and life that you build around other people. The question very gently I would pose to a user who's going through this is, you know, we have this thought that we can maybe get out of ourselves, you know, get out of it on ourselves, but wouldn't be worth it if someone could lend you that shoulder or that helping hand and help you find a way out. Because sometimes, you know what, this is what I will put to anyone listening to this. We have our own blind spots that we're not aware of. We might be able to see that in a lot of other people, but I promise you, and I say this as a therapist too, there are things about ourselves, it's just a human function, that we have our own blind spots too. And sometimes it is those very blind spots that are what is dragging us down. So no harm done speaking to someone and seeing yeah. seeking that help. You said earlier that you recommend people to actually seek help proactively, yep. especially, you know, before anxiety becomes really debilitative. Yep. And, you know, what what exactly goes into that work if you're trying to proactively manage anxiety? Uh, what do you do to manage it on a, on a day-to-day basis? So, okay. So a few things. When you do this proactively, it could just mean, yeah, going to a counselor's office or a therapist's office. And say, you know, like I said, in the backdrop of COVID that, you know what, I'm experiencing these anxieties right now. And um, yeah, it's not probably reached a stage in your life where it's intrusive, but I want to really sit down and take some time with it so that I know it's worked through and it's not going to come back in the future. So that's one way of doing it. So one is really go seek uh, mental health help. Mm, But but what what goes into that mental health help? So for example you finding the triggers and then working through that or is it you know teaching them techniques like mindfulness i'm very glad you asked that question i was actually just about to come okay. to that because there are a lot of ways you can do this so one is you know so once you're in that space then you can work with your therapist find things that work for you so this is the interesting and actually also the slightly unfortunate part about mental health in a conversation that we need to understand The one-size-fits-all thing doesn't work, Alyssa. Mm. I'm sorry. So we can't Um, just all meditate it away? (laughs) I wish. No, so you see, yeah, some people love meditation, mindfulness. But even in that, you may be the kind that likes music-based meditation. Mm. You may be someone that likes, I'll give you my example. I like looking out into nature. So I like spending time, a lot of time, like by my window, taking stock, writing. It takes varied, varied forms. So being proactive can be a lot of different things. What I would invite any listener right now is if you want to get into that zone, internet's our best friend. 
go online, look up, look up programs, look up, um, you know, different, uh, different tips, techniques, strategies, something you like. Maybe you're someone who likes more art-based work. You're someone who likes nature sounds. I don't know. Explore it. What I'm saying when I say be proactive is explore it. Find out, find resources, talk to people. If you want, just set up a consultation with someone. Usually, um, these tend to be a little bit more manageable with therapists. Just talk proactively, see what comes up for you, and then go from there. All right. Um, in note of that, there are a lot of programs online because the world is actually shrinking. Um, the advantage you now has, sorry, now have is that you can go online and you can find actually programs that you can tune into that might help you give very targeted uh, solution strategies and ideas based on where you are at. Yeah, so I, I invite users mm. to explore. I guess what you're saying, it's a very individual journey. Everyone can find a different way that works for them better yes. in order to manage anxiety. Yeah. There's no one solution fits all, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but that brings me to my last question, and this is a question we'll ask all our guests. How do you find calm for yourself? Okay. My answer is going to be a bit different. Because for me, the way to find calm, and I do this actually as a regular practice, is to sit with all the things that don't make me calm. Interesting. And to spend time with that and to honor and hold space for that. When you, The more you do this, whatever your journey may be, the more you do this, the easier you will find your way back to come. That's a really good answer. And I think we can all learn from that. Thank you, Alyssa. I hope that's been helpful because I really enjoyed today's conversation. Yeah, this has been a lovely conversation. I'm sorry it has to come to an end. But really, thank you for joining us today. Well, likewise, Alyssa. You have a wonderful day ahead and I have to wish the team at Calm Collective all the very best for this podcast. And as a mental health professional, I'm extremely happy you're doing this and spreading awareness to all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Calm Conversations. If you liked today's conversation, make sure to follow this podcast. We have a lot more interesting conversations lined up dealing with many different aspects of mental health from an Asian cultural lens. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Telegram, or Facebook to find out when we're releasing our next podcast episode or hosting our next talk. You can look us up as Calm Collective Asia or go to our website www.calmcollective.asia. This podcast is supported by the National Youth Council, the Youth Action Challenge, and Youth Collab. Also, a huge thank you to Snakeweed Studios who are helping us record and produce this podcast. See you next time. Until then, stay calm.